Hi, I'm Trevor Elio. And I'm Julie Stern, and this is Conceptually Speaking, the show where we interview experts to uncover the concepts and patterns that help us organize our world. From farming to fashion, we can understand any field through acquiring, connecting, and transferring conceptual relationships. We hope this podcast will inspire teachers and students to design creative solutions to complex problems and accelerate innovation in today's schools. If you're interested in our work, you can find out more at edtosavetheworld.com. Today's episode of Conceptually Speaking is a special one. It'll be our first episode with an actual student. Though Hannah Testa is a student in Forsyth County, Georgia, that's just one of many hats she wears. She's also a founder of the nonprofit Hannah for Change, an author, presenter, TEDx speaker, politico, and more besides. She's one of a growing number of Generation Z activists whose compelling earnest message demands attention. Her passion is raising awareness and mobilizing people and policy to protect wildlife and the environment. And it'll be immediately apparent that she has the knowledge and skills to do both with a plum. Over the course of our conversation, she'll share her current projects and initiatives, as well as offer her thoughts on the best ways for students to engage with different stakeholder groups to affect meaningful change. Environmental policy might be her main focus, but she is just as passionate about engaging fellow teens to rise up and advocate for themselves and their future. I would say that I think I'd say there's more young people speaking up because they see how big of an issue this is, especially with it more on the forefront of pretty much everywhere, talking about these ginormous issues and how a lot of them are taking time bombs and we need action on it. And um, it can be frustrating for young people to see these issues and a lot of talk and little action happening, especially when I, I keep mentioning, but it's, it's our future. By the time we're old enough to really make decisions and be in positions of power, it's going to be far too late. And we're just going to be, you know, cleaning up the problem. Whether you're a student, teacher, or parent, our conversation with Hannah will give you hope for the future. Like I say to close out the episode, this is a generation of people who know how to get stuff done. We hope you enjoy. Our guest today is Hannah Testa, environmental activist, author, and founder of Hannah for Change. Welcome, Hannah. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We're excited to have you. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you started Hannah for Change and got involved in youth activism? Of course. So I'm currently 18 years old. Um, I founded Hannah for Change when I was 10. Um, So eight years ago, (laughs) yeah, um, I was starting to learn about all these different issues happening across the globe, mainly um, regarding endangered animal species. And that's what really got me started was, you know, as a 10 year old, I was in fourth grade and learning how animals that I absolutely loved and have roamed the earth for millions of years could go extinct during my lifetime. It broke my heart. And I knew I had to do something, even though many of these species live on opposite sides of the world from where I live. Um, I knew I had to do something. So I went online and our generation is known for, you know, connecting to um, the digital um, space. And so I went online and found other organizations that were helping to protect endangered animals and the projects and campaigns they were doing. And I chipped in to help. And then eventually I started creating my own projects. And so that's how Hand for Change came to be. It originally started off as a Facebook page for the people in my community to learn about the projects I was doing and how they can help support them. And then it kept getting bigger and bigger. And obviously it's evolved over the past eight years. Now I focus more on environmental issues as well as just youth activism as a whole. 
Love it. So I'm so excited for Hannah to be here. And um, I was going to say shame on us, Trevor, that Hannah is the first uh, student that we've had on the podcast. We just had this moment where we said, oh, my gosh, we've had only adults. Um, we've tried to have a diverse audience, but we weren't thinking, you know, sort of out of the box enough. And so it came to mind, of course, that our very first uh, youth person, our guest on our podcast would be Hannah Testa, of course. And so Hannah came into our orbit uh, via some work. Trevor and I met her uh, last summer. We did a conference last summer. You, you, along with Trevor and I, were a speaker at the conference. Um, And so I'm so thankful to meet you. And now I feel like I'm a friend and also a friend of your mom. Your mom and I talk all the time. (laughs) Um, And so I said, oh, you know, we have got to have Hannah on our podcast. Um, But you're such a beautiful person. You you have so much to share. I love uh, watching you speak. And uh, I was taking tips on on public speaking, watching you, you speak. And so it's such an honor for you to be on our podcast. And as we always do, you know, it's called conceptually speaking, we ask for three words um, to sort of frame it. So what are your three words that frame youth activism? Yes, so it was a hard task (laughs) to come up with. And it's kind of the three topics that I know for Hand for Change we focus on. And I felt just as a whole um, youth activism, I could sum it up in three words and that was educate, collaborate and advocate. Mm, educate, collaborate, and advocate. And did you think about an order for those? Because I almost see like coming into, uh, you know, trying to get um, your message across. Was that, was it sort of like, do they build on each other? Can you tell us a little bit about these sort of Yeah, those and they definitely are very, they interconnected. And I wouldn't say there's per se an exact order. You definitely do whatever order you feel best. But I always <laughs> say, you know, one of the first steps is really to educate yourself and, um, for youth activists, especially because of our age, that's sometimes a barrier. And mm. we have to show that we are truly knowledgeable about the stuff that we care about. Because sometimes mm. there's a predetermined idea when we walk into a room that, oh, we're just, we're just kids. We don't know what we're talking about. So it's always mm. so important to be super knowledgeable, become many experts on um, the topics that you're passionate about. And not only knowledge, use that knowledge to better your message, but also to educate other people as well. Um, a lot of these issues are, you know, a lack of awareness or um, just not understanding these issues um, and further detail or the solutions to these issues. So a lot of it is based on education. And I think that's a lot of what youth activists do too, is um, spreading awareness and furthering the education on these issues and why they're a problem in the first place and their solutions. And then uh, collaborating um, as really any activist, but definitely for youth activists, there's so many other young people now more than ever speaking up and it's so important to really come together network um, and work hand in hand for these issues um, and especially for these big issues like climate change and plastic pollution that you see a lot of young people tackling um, they're they're huge and it can be hard you know it can be um, it can, you can make you feel really small at times if you think of just as an individual person but it's going to really come down to all of us coming together working hand in hand to fight these big issues. And uh, a quote that my friend says that I absolutely love, um, he says, the weight of the world is not as heavy if we all lift it together. And I think that's such a true testament to a lot of the global issues happening and young people rising up um, to help solve them. And then the last one is advocate. Um, There's obviously so many solutions. Um, There's not one ultimate solution to these issues and uh, advocating in the best way you know possible. For some people that's through art um, some people is working behind the scenes and um, doing pro- leading protest organizations. Other people, it's grabbing a mic and speaking up. 
um, it's different for everybody and use your talents to your advantage and really help elevate your message and spread it out. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. So Hannah just wrote a book, um, Taking on the Plastic Crisis, and um, it, it's really great. I pre-ordered it, so I got it right when it came out from Amazon. Uh, I thought that it was going to be something I could read to my kids and my there four and six. And I was like, oh, no, this is more sort of geared towards, I'd say, like middle yeah. school. Um, is that kind of your target audience or, or was your what was your target audience for your yeah, book? The target audience was for around, like, I say, upper elementary school, middle school, and high mm. school, but also mm -hmm. um, any adults that are interested in reading. And I talk about mm -hmm. supporting other youth activists as well. Um, my brother, he's in fourth grade, so mm -hmm. um, he's reading it as well. And sometimes he's working <laughs> with me. Um, so I explain to him, but um, I started, you know, when I was in elementary school, like I was in mm -hmm. fourth grade and there's so many youth activists and I feel like they keep getting younger and younger um, mm -hmm. and kind of directing a message towards them on um, the issue of plastic pollution and why it's such a big problem. And we hear about it a lot, um, but I guess down to the nitty gritty, what it is, why it's having an impact, um, not just like for me, I live in Georgia and, you know, we're hundreds of miles from the nearest coast. Um, mm -hmm. And so talking about how we're still connected to the ocean and how plastic pollution is connected to climate change. Um, and then really how to be a part of the solution, um, no matter how young you are and uh, on an individual level, but even just like on a business um, business level or uh, on a policy level. Mm. And so, so related, somewhat related to, to that and to what you were talking about, about collaboration and the weight of the world on your shoulders. Um, so how, can you tell us a little bit about being so young and being so passionate? And Trevor and I even uh, were like, gosh, can you imagine? Because we asked you to be on the show and you told us like, this month is too busy. How about next month? <laughs> um, and we, you know, Trevor even said to me, can you imagine being being uh, 18 years old and you're so busy that, you know, you're like next month. Um, but I'm just wondering like, how how is it? It been for you you seem obviously you you've traveled the world you've been to England uh, I know you've been in documentaries we were just talking about your TED talk that you did um, so obviously you know you're doing pretty good but I'm just wondering if you could share a little bit about how you balance sort of the innocence of childhood with the weight of the world on your shoulders as you know a 10 year old <laughs> worried about uh, about animals going extinct yeah, yeah it's um, it was definitely a learning process so as I've gone through it more and learning what works best for me and uh, doing this for eight years. I've pretty much found that um, a lot of it is, you know, working with other people and uh, figuring out what works best for you. And it's obviously different for everyone, but um, I figured out better like working habits and scheduling. I, I need to like write things down and write out my plans and what I'm doing each day and my goals um, to help me make sure I achieve them and uh, really get through everything I need to get done throughout the day. Um, mm -hmm. I also have, you know, school, I'm a senior. So um, mm -hmm. like making sure I get good grades and still um, pushing myself academically, but um, still also spending time uh, with friends and family and having social life. I definitely try to mm -hmm. still be a kid when I can be. Mm -hmm. Like I go out with my friends and I spend time with my family um, just like any other teenager would. Um, but I think that also helps me make sure that I don't burn out or overwork myself. Because if I just mm -hmm. focus on schoolwork and activism um, all day, every day, it can be a lot and it can be very draining. Um, so also practicing like better mental health um, mm -hmm. and really incorporating that and spending time for just myself too, even though I am pretty extroverted, I also just need some time to myself and regroup and um, just focus on what my, my body's telling me it needs to focus on and what I need to do. And 
um, how to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. So one of the uh, concepts that you, you brought up that I think really is interesting, especially considering your position as a student is educate. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I feel like typically if students your age would hear the word educate, they think that that's something that's being done to them by adults <laughs> in school, as opposed to something that they can do and provide um, for others, um, especially in the name of, of a specific cause. So, you know, you're talking about, you know, finding balance between all of these things, um, but it's really impressive how much you have been able to learn and then in order to educate other people, including adults. I mean, and it's not just facts about these issues. You're, you're actually like having discussions about policy. Mm -hmm. So do you think you could talk a little bit about how, and you had mentioned this earlier, the, uh, the fact that you are part of a digital ge generation has sort of opened these doors to you that typically may not have been open to kids in terms of not only your own ability to access information and to learn, but also to reach out and to educate other people. Yeah, I'm so lucky uh, to be part of Gen Z and mm. this digital era. Um, and I would say even when I first started, I felt really alone because I didn't know other young people doing what I was doing. And through social media, um, I was able to meet other kids just like me in other places that were doing the same things and connect with me and understand, uh, you know, how these issues are so important to me, whereas, you know, some of my other uh, classmates and peers here did not understand as much. Um, so being able to connect with other people um, and back to collaborating as well, working with them even across oceans, um, working on the same project um, is really fulfilling and does a lot. Um, it has an incredible impact. So I even work with, um, I was working with my friend, he lives in Nevada on a project and we're trying to do like a VR um, experience of a cleanup we did in Hawaii. And we connected uh, through an event that was in Vancouver, which is crazy, um, which I heard about online. <laughs> so um, a lot of these um, youth geared uh, projects and events, a lot of it is based through social media and online. Um, because that's what a lot of young people are finding out their information from, um, even though there's definitely, you know, you don't want to believe everything you see on the internet, but it's also a great resource as well. You want to be careful with it, um, but it's definitely been a great resource to educate um, other people as well as campaign um, and advocate. Mm. That's exactly what I was thinking of. We had a, a famous education sort of thought leader named uh, Professor Young Zhao on, on the podcast, who he, he talks about, you know, how much the internet has changed uh, young people and changed society. And, and he, you know, pointed out that, that you have young people, young people, and you just said young, when you said younger and younger as a, for a youth activist, uh, my brain went, well, because of the internet, um, because, you know, he said there's a group of kids are organizing around topics of interest all across the globe that say me and Trevor didn't have in our childhood. Um, and so I see it with my own kids. It's crazy what I see. They're only four and six, but I think especially because of COVID, like, like me, so many parents are trying to both work <laughs> and somewhat monitor their children, homeschool, et cetera. Um, and so that leads to a lot more screen time than I would have had prior to COVID. Um, but the cool thing is, you know, you can put all these controls on, on the iPad. They're always like tricking my, my controls. But they they tell me all kinds of stuff, and there's and young, very young children are very tend to be very interested in animals, and so they just tell me like, "Mom, did you know this tiger was extinct? But then somebody found it." Like they tell me these little minutia details about uh, animals that are about to go extinct, uh, animals that were extinct that actually 
this somehow scientists got got them to come back to life. As you say, you never know what to believe of my four-year-olds, um, but they're watching these different things. And it's so interesting. And as a mother, I'm, I'm, I'm always wondering like, how much should I tell them? My husband thinks I'm like way too honest. I'm like, yeah, if you throw that in the yard, it could end up in the ocean. So let's not do that. Um, and, and animals might die or they just want, want, want. It's Christmas time coming up. They want more and more toys. All the toys are plastic. So I'm just wondering like what, you know, how do you sort of balance how much you tell younger children about the realities of plastic pollution and things like that. Um, because we have a lot of, uh, most of our listeners are teachers. Um, some teach very young kids, some teach kids more your age. Um, what, what advice do you have for sort of, you know, the delicate balance of being too real with our, with our young people? Definitely, yeah. You definitely wanna gear your message towards your audience. And I've learned <laughs> that as a public speaker and even just working with kids and even mm -hmm. having a brother mm -hmm. um, in fourth grade, you know, understanding kind of how younger minds work. Sometimes you forget mm -hmm. the things we say. You're like, oh, you don't know what that means yet. Or you don't really have a grasping of what that is. Mm -hmm. Or I'll talk about like statistics, like mm -hmm. um, 8 million, 8 billion tons of plastic enter the ocean each year. They don't even have a grasp of like right. what 1 billion is. Right. Like 2 billion. Um, so um, I like to talk about uh, kind of a little bit surface level of these issues, especially at a younger age that they can have a grasp on it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the more individual steps that they can take, um, such as not using plastic in the first mm -hmm. place. Um, mm -hmm. And I like to have little, um, I guess, little fun things to talk about too. So um, sometimes when I speak, I talk about um, Barry the bottle and it's a plastic water bottle and his journey um, from going to the grocery store and into mm -hmm. your house. Um, and mm -hmm. then um, how it ends up into the ocean, how when we thought we threw it away, um, it's actually going through our rivers. And um, mm -hmm. I have like a whole storyline um, for more of the younger kids, but obviously if I'm mm. talking to kids more my age, I'm not going to talk about bury the bottle. I'm going to kind of tell them more straightforward about um, what actually occurs um, and talk more um, deeper on the issue of not just stopping plastic in your own home, but how to even influence other people and businesses and policy, um, which is obviously harder for younger kids <laughs> to even get a grasp on as well. Um, but even just breaking down some of the information, like the statistic I mentioned earlier, um, being able to break that down so 8 billion tons of plastic entering the ocean each year that's equal to one truckload every minute so that's something that they can grasp a bit more like they they have a better understanding of one truckload of trash in um, one minute of time um, so in breaking down this information and um, something that they can firmly understand is definitely helpful and for them to go home that after school and talk to their parents about so that's something that they can relay and their parents will understand as well so kind of kind of in a um, similar vein to that idea of scaffolding or scaling your message to your audience, how do you feel like you can talk to students about being involved um, at a local level, not just being passionate about these issues and thinking about these giant, you know, I mean, climate change is a global issue and it can be very easy, I'm sure, to feel completely overwhelmed in terms of, well, well where do I even start? Um, obviously there's advocacy work that can be done via social media, but one thing that I, I like about your story is it seems it was, it's very much rooted in your community of Forsyth. And then you sort of treated that as, as an area for you to, to learn, to connect, to build a network, and then you expanded out from there. So could you maybe talk about that journey of, of starting local, um, or what's that old, that old adage, um, think, think global, act local. Could you maybe talk about that a little bit in your relationship with Forsyth? 
Yeah, so um, I've grown up here for most of my life. Um, so it's I've been so lucky to have such incredible sport um, support along the way. Um, but really talking about, like I said, you want to break down these issues to things that people understand and um, talking about, you know, why Forsyth County of all places, why do we have an impact on these other issues? Um, so my main focus is plastic pollution. So usually I talk about um, how our plastic ends up in the ocean and how it ends up in other uh, countries, even in Asia, um, and how that's happening and how we can be part of the solution. Um, and when I was talking about endangered animals on um, stopping support of um, the trade of these um, illegal items um, here in the US and even supporting businesses that do support those trades. Um, but you wanna break it down kind of on an individual level um, so that something that people can start today, something that they can do right now um, that will have an impact and over time as more and more people do it. And as you on an individual level do it over and over again, will have a larger impact as a whole, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I think I, I was just want, thinking about our online course we did. We launched an online course and we take uh, teachers through this sort of student experience and we look at the concepts or our, our three concepts are pollution, uh, technology and innovation and how do those things interact. And someone pointed out in our first cohort of people that that actually plastic was an innovation you know, uh, probably before I was even born, it was, you know, really exciting. And there are some good uses for it. I'm um, thinking of a good friend who uh, who works on uh, prosthetic limbs, things like that, you know, to, to allow people to be able to walk for the first time if they have uh, amputations or things like that. Um, and at the same time, now plastic, which started as an innovation has evolved into this major pollution. Um, and just people, you know, people who are older than me who've lived through uh, air pollution and that how that was a major uh, problem. And, and we've done a decent amount of job as far as uh, different cities around the world sort of cleaning that up. However, you know, there's still some issues. Um, and so I'm just wondering, like, what are some some bright spots that you see? Maybe not for plastic, maybe for plastic, maybe as an innovation, a technological advance. Um, what are some positive things that that you've you've seen about plastic? plastic waste or about climate change. Oh, I love that. I love sharing <laughs> um, and um, I do actually mention um, in my book and I do like to highlight that plastic is a miracle product. Um, even though it is derived from oil and it has, you know, you have to frack and that can contribute to climate change. You know, we use uh, plastic for incredible technology um, and even life-saving technology, but too much of anything is always going to be a problem. And we produce 50% of our plastic to be used once and then thrown away. And the problem with plastics is that it can remain on our planet for hundreds of thousands of years. Um, so it's gonna outlive us, even though we use it for just a couple of minutes, which is kind of scary to think about. Um, I think I love seeing other young people too in some of their success stories. Um, and so one of my friends, Shelby O'Neill, who I've met through um, youth activism, she wrote a letter to Alaska Airlines and talked about the plastic straws that they use on their flights. And because of her letter, they no longer use plastic straws on their flights. And they were the first airline to do so, um, just from one letter, from one person, um, from one young person, which is uh, absolutely incredible. Um, there's also incredible things happening all across the globe. 
um, the island of Bali, um, two young sisters um, started at the ages of 10 and 12 and successfully led a campaign to ban single-use plastic bags in the island of Bali. Um, we're seeing even more recently um, a lot of great legislation happening across the globe. Uh, France is banning single-use plastics, like um, there's certain types of plastics within those, um, but quite a few single-use plastics in the whole country. Um, and here in the U.S. earlier this year, uh, we introduced the first bill regarding plastic pollution, and that was the National Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. And so I actually got to go to D.C. right before the pandemic, pandemic and everything went crazy um, earlier in February um, and speak at the introduction for it. Um, and so that's still um, in the works and hoping uh, to get passed. Seeing as the best way to, to reach out to people who maybe are skeptical, about the seriousness of the climate change issue. Um, unfortunately, climate change has become um, politically charged in the US, unlike in most other countries. So what are you finding as a way to sort of build bridges? Because even though it, it's technically an environmental crisis, it's kind of born out of this sort of truth crisis that we're having right now, I think as a society and a culture of figuring out, well, what is real, what is true? Um, and, and how can you sort of combat that, uh, I guess the, the politically charged nature of that message? Yeah, it can be very frustrating. I think, especially uh, for young people talking about how our future is at stake and people are debating it in a sense. Um, but I've learned along the way, especially growing up um, in Georgia, there's definitely um, people here that don't believe in climate change and say it to my face and it's having um, conversations and back to gearing um, your message towards your audience. Um, you wanna listen to what they have to say um, and kind of use that and acknowledge what they're saying and tying that into your message and um, kind of connecting those dots. And sometimes people are just, they're not gonna get it and they're not gonna move um, from their standpoint and that's okay. Um, as long as, you know, you don't wanna use all your energy and all your time into one person uh, if they're not gonna move. Um, you wanna put your energy into people that will move or shift uh, and are open to listening to you. And you also don't want them to be arguments. You don't want it um, to escalate on a higher level um, where it's more yelling um, than having more of like a sit down conversation and really learning from each other. Um, so like I've heard the conversation, like when I'm talking with people that don't believe in climate change, they'll say, um, oh, that it's, you know, a national, it's a natural phenomenon. Um, this, is, this happens, um, it's happened throughout history. It's just happening right now. Um, it's not something we really need to worry about. And so just taking like things like that, that they're saying and time into your message and saying, well, even if it is, you know, something that naturally occurring and happens all the time, um, we're still contributing with the CO2 emissions and the greenhouse gases we're emitting, it's escalating that on a higher level than ever seen before. Um, and even so, even if it is happening naturally, um, there's no problem in helping to try and mitigate that from happening in the first place. Um, and we're seeing already just all across the globe, the impacts of uh, climate change. Um, it may not be happening as much on the US, um, but definitely internationally, especially in island countries. But uh, we can see that in due time, it's definitely gonna impact the US. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, one thing about the educate is I think people don't, one thing I try to do as a, as a social studies teacher is educate people on population explosion. I think most people don't know um, that, you know, around 1800, there were, were around a billion people and, or excuse me, around a million. And now we're, we're, um, 
we're going to 8 billion and counting. And so it, I think like people don't know the population explosion over the last, you know, 300-ish years um, and what that, and the inverse relationship that's had on the planet. And so I, uh, one thing that I talk about is Plastic pollution, very hard to argue that that's not a problem. When you look at these gorgeous beaches in Mexico, um, Cancun, a lot of these places that people go to vacation are like, mm, there's waves of plastic. Um, you know, that that's an issue. I think a deforestation is hard to argue and that trees, you know, <laughs> sort of curb the, the CO2 and give us oxygen is not really debatable. Um, and then I think the third thing that I'm really learning through my own children is is about um, species extinction. I mean that that the the statistics are just you can't deny it. I think whether or not fossil fuels are burning and therefore the earth is warming, maybe that's the one that I, I don't tend to sit down and have long conversations with. But the other three are really hard to deny. Because uh, yeah, the other three are like are empirical. Like if you can't, den like if you are at a beach and you just see a crap ton of plastic roll up mm -hmm. on the beach, you can't be like, nope. Exactly. This isn't real. It's, it seems like something climate change is much more abstract and it's much more long term. You can't yeah, empirically validate that. I'd be surprised. I've definitely heard quite a few things about plastic pollution too. I guess lobbying and talking with other people. You mm. definitely, definitely heard Really? Plastic. Yeah. I mean, um, not that it doesn't exist, but more that I guess one of the arguments that I've heard is um, you know, it's all coming from Asia. It's Asia's problem. It's mm. we're not really a part of the problem. Mm, we don't really interesting. Worry about it. Um, mm. It's more of like a, you know, it's not not our problem. Mm. Um, so we actually ship a lot of our plastic to Asia and other countries. Mm -hmm. Our number one export is trash. Mm. Um, and so even though it may be coming from um, Asia's rivers and um, on their oceans, um, it's our it's still our trash. Mm. And even if it isn't, that doesn't mean we shouldn't stop it at the source on our own end, um, stop um, doing every that we can on our end. Um, but there's definitely uh, some people that, you know, still want to argue uh, issues that seem almost unarguable. Um, but a lot of times, you know, especially with uh, all the information available online, there's also a lot of misinformation or misleading info um, or biased information as well. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of these industries that do have a lot of money can influence a lot of uh, different leaders, different um, media. Um, so it, it can be it can be very interesting. And I think as a young person taking a lot of it in and uh, we see a lot of it, um, it's, it's very interesting to watch, but um, to see how other people take it and how they use that to frame their arguments as well. It, it reminds me of when my young kids, we were just playing in the woods, very in a suburban Washington, D.C., just outside of Washington, D.C. Um, and in a, in a, I'm going to be honest here, it's like a fairly well-to-do neighborhood that I live in. And there were probably 30 plastic bottles in this in the woods where we were playing. And I don't know why. I don't know. We couldn't, we, we had, we don't know if it was runoff mm -hmm. or if somebody came and dumped them. We don't know where they came from. But my, my four and six-year-old were like, mom, we've got to clean this up. And they were not going to let me just leave them there. And so I was like, okay, we got to go home and get some gloves because this is like height of COVID that I'm like, we're not just going to grab these. Uh, I feel like now I'd be a little bit less scared, but it was like right when it started. So anyway, we like marched back home to get this big, huge bag to get some gloves um, and because they were not going to let it rest, which I thought was awesome. I, you know, I feel like that's something that young people are just like, there's no, we love animals so much. We cannot leave this here. Like, let's go. We let's 
let's go home. Let's get a bag. <laughs> let's oh, clean I this up. That. So kind of uh, building on the previous points, I'm curious what you're seeing right now as maybe some of the more promising policy initiatives or some um, ideas that are out there in terms of uh, like potential things that can help that are not only looking at it at an individual or community level, but even at like a broader, like national, international sort of uh, scale. Yeah, so I, one of my main focuses through POTS Exclusion has definitely been the policy side of it. And I talk to other young people about don't being afraid, don't be afraid to get involved in policy. Mm. Um, I think I had a predetermined idea that you have to be an adult or a politician um, or a voting age, but I started when I was 14 um, mm -hmm. working with my representatives. Um, so don't be afraid to challenge the narrative in that sense. Um, there is no age limit um, or a requirement or box to check uh, to work with your representatives or meet with them or reach out to them. Um, but there's definitely a lot of great legislation that's in the works um, on almost every scale on um, local, um, statewide, as well as nationally. Um, and especially with the new administration coming in, in January, um, everything's kind of, uh, it's been pretty exciting on the environmental policy side, as um, a lot of us are hoping for a lot more uh, environmental conservation and preservation um, to be enacted and uh, passed through. Um, obviously, all eyes are on Georgia as of right now um, with the Senate runoff election. So I'm also doing a big push here on getting young people to vote. Um, but because those are very crucial elections here in Georgia. Um, but I talked about earlier the National Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. Um, they're also trying to put that into statewide um, legislation bills, um, not just a national one, because that's obviously going to take a long time um, for a national bill to pass. So they're encouraging um, individual states to pick that up and also do that in their own states, um, hopefully pass that faster than the national bill. Um, but um, I'm also working on, um, there's a group of us working on an ocean conservation bill as well, uh, focusing on, there's a lot of things that are ocean conservation. So I want to say it's around like 300 pages, this bill. Um, wow. on, yeah, it's very long. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we're all uh, commenting and having um, different ideas on um, all sorts of things regarding ocean conservation. Um, and obviously there's the Green New Deal here in America, which is also kind of debatable and has been um, a lot, featured a lot in the news as well. But um, even just internationally, um, a lot more countries are starting to at least realize that a lot of these environmental issues um, are kind of ticking time bombs and it'd be a lot easier to enact policy now um, and kind of stop it at the source um, instead of waiting and doing the cleanup after the fact and doing the aftermath of it. Um, and there's this analogy that, um, let's say if your sink is overflowing and water spilling all over the floor, your first reaction isn't to grab a mop, it's to turn off the tap. And we have to do the same um, with a lot of these environmental issues. We want to stop it at the source. Um, and a lot of that is putting these producers more responsible um, of the environmental impacts they're having. Like with the National Brig Free from Plastic Pollution Act, one of um, its main sectors was having the producers of plastic more responsible for the waste management of it after consumer use. Because um, a lot of times uh, they kind of gear the message that we're the problem, the consumers, we aren't disposing it properly. Um, but there's also, you know, they need to be held accountable for the stuff they're producing in the first place, as mm -hmm. well as incorporating just more sustainable um, 
more sustainable practices within their production. So um, like for example, having re recycled plastic in their plastic production instead of uh, you know, doing more fracking and pumping more oil to make new plastic when there's already an abundance of plastic as we see um, everywhere. Um, so things like that, and there's a lot of uh, incredible um, research and organizations and um, lobbying that's happening for legislation just like that. I know here in Georgia, um, there's some legislation hopefully um, that's going to go up next session about um, styrofoam um, and even just Atlanta, there's um, talk on issues um, on like renewable energy as well as um, single-use plastics. Um, so it's very exciting to see, especially um, as the upcoming years, the Georgia session start and the new administration comes in here in America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I remember being being there in Forsyth and just going to some different fast food places and and there's um, more sort of cardboard containers for you to put your your takeout food in and uh, more sort of um, sort of corn based or otherwise uh, utensils. Uh, I've, I've just noticed it and I travel a lot. And when you mentioned that about Alaska Airlines, I was just like, oh God, it, it's been a while since I've traveled, but, but it's, uh, it's hard. It's really hard like to be conscientious and to travel. So I have like use a, I have a, <laughs> this is crazy, but because I was traveling so much, I have a, a fork that I bring with me so that I don't have to take uh, the plastic utensils and things like that. So I'm like, I wash it off. And people, I mean, people look at me like I'm totally yeah. insane. Um, but, you know, I just feel like it's also, it's interesting because on one hand, people will say, okay, jobs are threatened if we, you know, if we stop our dependence on a lot of these things that are destroying the planet. Um, at the same time, you're, what we're seeing is sort of innovation. And this is something that I think is, is, historical in in the course of human history that we like when something starts to become a problem we we innovate mm -hmm. um and so what we're seeing now are these bright spots where um you know farmers who are getting creative they're realizing um that things that are detrimental to the land are are, are ultimately detrimental to their to their pocketbook uh, mm -hmm. to, you know to their balance sheet and so just people figuring out what sustainable ways are also good for economics and that it doesn't have to be this trade-off off. Um, and so is that something that you you have when you talk about educate, collaborate, advocate, is there something that you, that like you have sort of brought in the idea of um, how it can actually be good economically if we focus on saving the earth? Yeah, a little bit. I do, you know, we definitely whoever possible want it to be a win-win situation, not like a cost of like debt or having like an opportunity cost. You want everyone to win at the end of the day, um, mm. and especially with, you know, sustainability and environmental issues. Um, you can definitely create a lot more jobs as well within renewable energy and um, more sustainable practices or um, sustainable products as well. Um, but yeah, there is obviously the economic side is definitely one of the most common arguments um, when it comes to these environmental issues and getting rid of jobs. But it also just comes down on to the human aspect of, you know, we're going to have so many environmental refugees in the next few years um, because of how much of um, climate change is rapidly impacting people, um, their water supply, um, their, um, what's the word, their, like their weather um, cycles and how it's impacting their crops. Um, and we already, there's already wars over things like oil um, and drinking water um, and to, you know, be using a lot of our oil for things like plastic we use for just a few minutes or um, polluting our waters. Um, it, we, the best thing to do, even though there obviously is the economic side of it, 
um, the fact that, you know, our, our planet's at risk, our future is at risk, um, and it's already impacting uh, thousands and millions of people, um, even though there's definitely the economic aspect of it, um, the sooner we can act, um, the better we'll all be. Um, and there's definitely jobs um, within that when we innovate and work towards a more sustainable future. What do you think are some of those really bigger or hidden or seemingly really disconnected things that are being affected by climate change. The one that I always think of is, I think it was three or four years ago, the CIA put out a report that climate change is actually contributing to um, rising acts of terror because there are areas where people who typically would just be a farmer owning their own land and working it where are you know, not able to. So they end up becoming radicalized because they don't really have access to you know, food, shelter, water, basic needs. So um, I do think that the knock-on effects of climate change are huge and they're really strange in, in, the, in the way they sort of manifest. So have there been any things that maybe, maybe really surprised people when they found out that this is a, being impacted negatively by climate change or, or by plastic pollution? Wow, that is really interesting. I've not heard that before. Um, I would say, um, I don't know about, I guess, climate change causes this, but I know that it's proportionally people of color that are impacted by climate change and mm. uh, face more environmental issues. Um, there's a term environmental racism and that's more environmental hazards impact people of color disproportionately. Um, you're, mm. There's more likely uh, poor communities and people of color that's going to be next to like incinerators um, and landfills or um, have, you know, lead poisoning in their waters. Um, you see places like Flint, Michigan, um, Cancer Alley. Um, there's a place in Texas um, that has a petrochemical plant for plastics. Um, and the, that community is so heavily impacted by so many health issues, mainly um, like cancer. Um, and asthma, um, mainly because they live right next to these chemical plants, um, which I think a lot of times people don't talk about enough uh, that it's mainly people of color that are impacted by these issues, but even just here in the US, but obviously on an international scale mm. as well, it's happening primarily uh, to people of color. Um, and it's uh, this environmental racism problem um, is only gonna continue to get worse. Mm -hmm. Indeed, and I think that's what's somewhat cool about uh, some of the more developing countries being the leaders in banning single-use plastics. I think a lot of it because they're like, I'm just, I used to live in Dominican Republic and a lot of the islands in the Caribbean, their main industry is tourism. And so um, it's, it's kind of neat to see some of these these countries are so dependent on tourism really step up and say, you know what, we're banning single use plastic um, before the developed countries have, have done it. And, and I think that that's great. And it's essential because they're islands. I mean, all basically you could, you could say pr pretty much nearly every small Island, uh, especially in the Caribbean is threatened. Um, and, and that they're the ones who are saying, you know what, you big old countries are the ones who are mostly doing this, but we're going to go ahead and, and ban single use plastics, um, and start using, and there's alternatives, you know, like people, people, the debate in the Dominican Republic was, was it wasn't sanitary to use a glass that someone brought to you. It, the straw was like more sanitary. I just remember um, one of my friends making that argument. And I'm like, there's alternatives to plastic straws. They're not that, you know, you can, you can have paper straws. And I started to see some of the resorts start to use paper straws and things like that. Um, and so finding the alternatives 
is is also encouraging. I'm starting to see it. You know, you're starting to see the trends, but it's it's not enough, as you say. Um, and for me, the the bright spot is it's becoming way more mainstream. I feel like when I was growing up in the eighties, it was like fringe groups who were really concerned. They were like tree huggers. That was kind of like a derogatory statement. Uh, but now you see my husband subscribes to the economist and the economist, this is called the economist. <laughs> and probably it's a weekly magazine that probably I would say at least once a month, um, a cover, a cover, of the economist is about climate change is about global warming is about what that the fact that we need to do something and then i also love the world economic forums youtube channel uh or their video channel and they are like here's they have this short like two minute video that's like here's what the world will look like in the next 50 years if we do nothing this is the world <laughs> economic forum i mean this is not this is not lefty tree hunger hugger organizations <laughs> um and so i think i think economists are starting to see uh, not starting to see it. They're starting to scream that if we do nothing, it's going to hurt the economy. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's, I think, uh, bright spots. I feel like people now know, okay, we got to do something. Do you see this as, as a generational shift? Because I think that's one of those things that's maybe taken mm. for granted. I know that I say like, oh, well, thank God, you know, Gen Z cared more about these things because we need to generate, we need like a, a massive swell of support. Mm -hmm. But I, but sometimes I wonder if I'm oversimplifying. Are, are you, do you find that, um, or are there trends that point to younger people being more passionate about climate change on, on a broad scale? Um, or is it just there are, there are more younger concentrated voices that are, that are coming out? Ooh, I would say that, I think, I would say there's more young people speaking up because they see how big of an issue that is this is especially with it um, more on the forefront of pretty much everywhere talking about these ginormous issues and how a lot of them are taking time bombs and we need action on it and um, it can be frustrating for young people to see these issues and uh, a lot of talk and little action happening mm -hmm. especially when I, I keep mentioning but it's, it's our future um, mm -hmm. and for by the time we're old enough to really make decisions and be in positions of power um, it's going to be far too late um, and we're just going to be, you know, cleaning up the problem. Um, so I would say that there's definitely a lot more young people speaking up because we realize that uh, these pressing issues need, need to be talked about and they need to be brought to the forefront. And um, a lot of the reasons that these issues are so talked about is mainly because of young people, especially uh, you see Greta Thunberg mm -hmm. um, has become, you know, a worldwide name um, mm -hmm. as a 17 year old talking about climate change. And having an impact in her own community, just protesting every day mm -hmm. and how um, she's been given this global platform to talk about climate change um, and being able to really bring it to the forefront. Um, so I would say that definitely young people are kind of tired of, even though we are younger and have not been around for long, but um, we see that these issues need action and we're, we're tired of um, inaction because we think mm -hmm. that there definitely needs to be more done as soon as possible. Hmm. I think that's a that's that's a very fair point that that by the time you guys are old enough to be in control, decisions will it will be too late. So just you know, I think that that's a that's a really nice point to make that we need to listen to you all. Um, I often you know I often say that when I'm, I'm my, just or sort of joking not joking um, with my husband whenever 
older people are like, wow, these people when they're climate change, I'm like, do they have grandchildren? Do they care about their grandchildren? Do they, what kind of world do they want for their grandchildren? Um, and I think that's really, it's, it's that serious. I think and people need to need to ask themselves uh, what kind of world they want for their grandchildren. And maybe people don't even have grandchildren yet need to ask themselves that question. Yeah. Like young people, even if they don't, aren't fully youth activists, they're definitely becoming more educated on these issues and are showing up to protest or showing up to voting. Um, even in Georgia, uh, we see the impact of young people voting and people of color voting and how we were able to turn blue this year, uh, which was, I, it was really Wild. incredible to watch. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible to see. And um, it was just under 200,000 uh, young people voted for uh, Biden over Trump. Um, and that's a huge margin um, just for young people for such a small margin for who won here in Georgia. So you can see that young people, even if they're not, uh, you know, picking up a microphone um, or megaphone and speaking, they're working behind the scenes. They're um, still taking action and doing their part. That's a powerful message. And I'll say that the, the moments where I feel the, the best about the future are after, after having class discussions with my students. Mm -hmm. uh, I've heard more wisdom in a Socratic circle in my English class than I has been generated in the Senate for, for probably decades. So I, I, do, I do have some hope for, for the future, um, just that you are so much more aware and connected. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a millennial, so I'm, I, I grew up with some technology, but I, I, the, I think the relationship that Generation Z has with um, technology and networking and connecting with each other socially and spreading messages is just powerful um, because they, they've really grown up on those platforms and they know really know how to use them. It's not just, you know, kids, you know, sharing memes. Like I, when I think about my early days on the internet, it was like, you know, sent like, like a funny cat meme or something to your friend. But, but now, obviously I'm, I'm hip now to how it can be used in more powerful ways. But I think that that really was just part and parcel of uh, younger students growing up on the internet. So they've seen the, the power that it has to really activate a lot of different stakeholder groups and to, to use it for really meaningful and important work. So we are so glad that you came and, and shared some wisdom with us about all of your work. Um, and if people are interested in finding out more about, about what you do, um, where should they look? Yeah, well, of course, thank you so much for having me. Um, I enjoyed this conversation so much. Um, but if you want to learn more, uh, if you want to reach out to me, please don't hesitate. My website is hannahforchange.org, and that's the digit for. Um, and then same for my email, it's hannahforchange at gmail.com. Awesome. All right, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Conceptually Speaking. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and are coming away with a stronger grasp of the concepts and mental models that help us understand our world. If you like this podcast, feel free to like, comment, or subscribe on your favorite platform. If you want to learn more or get involved, check out our website at edtosavetheworld.com and join our Facebook group, Learning the Transverse. <laughs>